0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always and thank you for tuning in this week. It's after the second round of the championship in Formula One. Got that, got the Newcastle 500 talking points from the Supercars Championship as well. And yes, it's a bit later than I would normally do, but it's been a pretty busy week. Um and yeah, this weekend we've got a bit of a rest from racing ahead of next week, which is going to be huge because it's the Australian Grand Prix, it's our home round here on this side of the world. Um really excited to be there again and covering some F1 for um the raw.com, the website that I write for, so um, I'm sure to bring you plenty of pictures and also content on that website, so stay tuned, but Saudi, yeah, um, again, not a race that I'm a particularly, I'm not a particularly big fan of, you know, I don't like the circuit, I don't like this emphasis on, you know, you know, the, we need the fastest street circuit in the world, like, no, thanks, um, I, I kind of, Find it too complex and um, not very exciting compared to you know a purpose-built track like a Porto Mayo or you know even Kyalami, which is not even on the, uh, which didn't make it on the calendar this year for various reasons. But um, it was an intriguing race. There was a lot to take away from it. There was a lot to take away from it, um, particularly for Red Bull, who you know despite finishing one-two again. There was a lot of issues um, that, you know, have been raised as a result of it, you know, particularly internally with um, Max Verstappen and and Sergio Perez again, whether it's going to hit that same sort of boiling point as it did last year in Brazil, it remains to be seen, but I've also um, put pen to paper or, you know, finger to keyboard uh, in, in talking about it and whatnot, so keep an eye out for that later. On probably early next week sometime but the street specialist Sergio Perez does it again it's redemption for him in a way from last year where that um, you know ill-timed safety car kind of cost him the win he did a good job he was on pole position Um, but the argument can be made that his success this weekend was down to the fact that uh, Max Verstappen who was fastest in all three practice sessions quite comfortably. Had a drive shaft, you know, problem or drive shaft failure in Q two, and that caused him to, you know, not even progress through to Q three, not even vie for pole position, and ended up fifteenth um, on the grid. And you had Charles Leclerc as well, who took a grid penalty um, over the weekend because they gave him a a uh, new control electronics unit and sorry I'm I'm just being distracted here by little Lulu sitting on my lap licking the microphone so if you hear any weird noises now she's, she's trying to get on the table this is this is real funny Lulu why are we, why are we doing this huh you little clingy little dog <laughs> it's also cuz my partner's not home today so she she is very much a mother's girl so She's being extra clingy now that I'm sitting here in the office and recording the show for you. But yeah, the fact that Max didn't make it through to Q3, didn't get on pole and, you know, do his his usual thing, um, gave Checo the rare, op- rare opportunity to actually, you know, showcase the fact that he can take pole positions and then go on to win the race. Now, um... Fernando Alonso, who ended up second in qualifying as a result of the Leclerc penalty, um, was able to lead the opening stages of the race, you know, got the better start off the front row of the grid. Checo, uh, though, got back into the lead by lap four. Max, meanwhile, was um, into the top ten after the first eight laps, but the big controversy there was around a five-second penalty being handed to Alonso for being out of Grid position, or like he was just either to the left of his box or too far to the right, something or rather nothing to be gained an advantage from. It was like Esteban Ocon's penalty in Bahrain, if you remember, and rather comically as well, and you know probably not comically, not funny with with what ensued afterwards. A further penalty was given to Alonso for the fact that um, his five-second penalty was not served correctly, so I'll get to that a bit later, there's a lot to do, unpack and discuss from that, um, but going back to the race, he so had uh, Alonso leading, and then Perez took back the lead, uh, Leclerc making early inroads as well, like um, Verstappen, but Leclerc's on the soft tyre, Stroll got past um, Carlos Sainz at the start, um, and after the pit stop, which Stroll first triggered, you know, as a result of, I think, Ferrari trying to dummy them, there was an energy recovery issue on that Aston Martin, so the safety car was brought out on lap 18, and that was kind of strange, because Stroll was far enough out of the way, I thought that they didn't have to bring the safety car out, and I think even Martin Brundle said it in the commentary that they didn't really need to bring out the safety car, there was no debris, he was comfortably off the track as well, and in the recovery area, but a hey, you know it's not like they were trying to do a Singapore two thousand and eight were they? <laughs> um or 09, I can't even remember anyway it was I remember it being brought up at one point over the weekend. Um but yeah this allowed uh, much of the field that hadn't pitted already to pit you know Checo as well was safe instead of getting uh, done over like he did last year because Alonso had the penalty to serve the five seconds um, it greatly benefited Max's race, because he was up into P4 as a result, and, you know, of course, he was able to then get past the likes of George Russell and Fernando Alonso to be on, in P2, and it was funny, because, um, Alonso predicted pre-race that, um, he reckons Max will be up to P2 if he's leading by lap 25, and indeed, it was by lap 25 that he overtook Alonso for P2, so that was quite funny, but, Drama at the end of the race uh, on the Red Bull side, because Perez was told to manage his pace, Max was faster, so Perez was told something like, oh, you know, you need to be doing 33 zeros, yet uh, Max was comfortably going quite quicker, you know, a tenth of a second per lap, and the finishing margin was still 5.3 seconds between Perez and Verstappen, but I guess when you're Perez and, you know, you've gone through what you have with Brazil last year, where... Max pretty much defied team orders to swap fourth and fifth to let Perez get more points to try and get second in the championship. There's going to be an element of paranoia. I mean, this is the lion's den you're dealing with, and um, Max is very much the lion king here. Um, Max as well at that point told to you know manage as well by his engineer Gian Piero Lambieci, but he was demanding the... Fastest lap information, which at the time uh, Perez still had the fastest lap in hand, and you know anyone who's followed Formula One in recent times knows you get an extra championship point if you're in the top ten and get the fastest lap. So Max was like, "It concerns me. Um, He obviously cannot stand the fact that he won't be first in the championship." I mean, like let's be let's be frank here. (laughs) Let's be frank here, people. I don't think that, you know, like, if you want to have a 2016-style Rosberg v. Hamilton kind of season, as much as I love Checo and I think he's a great driver, he's never going to be up there with the very greats. And, you know, it's it's great that we can see him winning races and whatnot and contributing to Constructors' World Championships. But the fact of the matter is the kind of team that Red Bull is and, you know, this is the tenth anniversary, mind you, as well that was pointed out recently of Multi Twenty um, One going back to twenty thirteen, and I remember it like it was yesterday. The the tension you can cut through like a knife through butter, basically. Um, Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber and Vettel pretty much ignoring team orders to still go on and win the race ahead of Webber, and yeah, I don't I don't I don't think that Checo has the mental capacity, I guess, to go to the end of the season, toe-to-toe with Verstappen, so I don't know why Max is kind of wasting his time, you know, with little things like that, I mean, he should easily just, okay, cool, I lost the championship lead by a couple of points here, but I'm going to get back the next race, you know, because this race was riddled with or this, you know, whole event since qualifying was riddled with dramas for him, um, with the drive shaft thing, and for him to then come out after the race as well, and this is, you know, like, this is where I'm like, okay, you know, you are, you are a bit of a prat sometimes, sorry Max, you're a great driver, you are one of the very greats, you know, you're up there in terms of your ruthlessness, uh, with the likes of Michael Schumacher, and Senna, uh, Lewis Hamilton as well, Sebastian Vettel, you are one of those really good, dri- you know, really, really good, great drivers, okay, but, you know, this, sometimes you have to think about the bigger picture, and, you know, the fact that, oh, um, you know, it concerns me that I need to be ahead in the championship by a point, even now, it's like, okay, you know, you guys are easily the comfortable Easily, most comfortably, the best team this season. And I don't think you're going to lose a championship even if you get stuck with that um, you know, aerodynamic testing restriction penalty later on um, in the season. It will allow other people to catch up, potentially. But Max is just going to walk to the title. So, you know, the unhappy demeanour that came out afterwards and, you know, the egregious look on Joss Verstappen's face as well was just kind of like... You guys are just absolutely appalling. Sometimes, you know, you, you, um, you know, not very gracious in in victory. I don't want to see what you're like in defeat potentially. Um, or this is what we saw in in defeat. You know, this is how gracious they are. So, you know, this is no way a personal attack on. Verstappen the driver but Verstappen the character it's a bit it's a bit questionable in my eyes and I have no shame in saying that too so you know I it's not like my favorite driver's up there winning or anything like that so you can't come after me in any respect yeah dare you I dare you twitter um but yeah unhappy demeanor and then also after the race there was also uh deleted a deleted tweet from Checo saying that, you know, he wants to be world champion or whatever. Um, But then it was deleted. Most likely, you know, got the gag order from the Red Bull media team and whatnot saying, or the PR team saying, um, yeah, you can't really... Don't say that, you know, just... Put everything else back up, but minus the the world champion part, and that's the thing that's most sad. You know, I'm thinking here from from Checo's perspective. You know, I'm in F1. I've been in F1 for a long time, and I finally have a car underneath me that is capable of winning the world championship. And that's anyone's dream, is to win the world championship if they're in F1. But when you've got Max Verstappen as your teammate, that's not going to happen. Particularly in an environment such as Red Bull, where as we've seen in the past with the likes of Weber and Vettel and then even Ricardo as a I mean, I guess Ricardo and Verstappen weren't really fighting for the championship. But yeah, Weber and Vettel, 2013, um they put all their eggs into one basket and you're basically the number two driver in that respect. And you know, part of me does say, look, Checo, you need to be grateful for the fact that you're in this position anyway. You got the lifeline from Red Bull in twenty at the end of 2020 when you're out of racing point, um, who are gonna become Aston Martin. Um, so yeah, more race wins to your career, more pole positions, that's gonna be that's gonna be it. And, you know, those who want to come and say, Oh, you know, but Daniel would probably, you know, take it to Max. I'm like, no, that wouldn't have happened. And Daniel had the opportunity to stay with Red Bull and be in the position Check goes in as far as adding more race wins to his tally, you know, finishing getting those constructors championship wins but when you've got a force like verstappen and we've we've got so much history you know f1 history to go off to know that you know if you want to have a team where both your teammates are going to fight for the championship like we saw with rosberg and hamilton or Senna and prost and whatnot it's not going to end well and you know, Mercedes themselves were happy after 2016 when Rosberg left that he's a, um, that they were able to find a bit of harmony in the team with Hamilton and, and Bottas. So, yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation to be in, I guess, and I don't think anything's going to change. And, yeah, Max is very much going to be the person to beat, um, and Checo's not going to be in a position internally where he will be able to beat him. But you know it's good that when there are problems on Max's side of the garage, uh, that Checker can come in and take the wins, and it's important for the constructors' world championship. And if it comes down to finishing one, two in the championship this year, and you know it, it requires a bit of help from 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 Max, I certainly hope that you know this is being naive that he might actually provide that help instead of denying it back in, like he did back in Brazil, for, for, for reasons, if if Monaco is the reason, I mean, it's just, yeah, th- there's like zero grace whatsoever, and that's the thing that's a bit frustrating, so we'll move on from that anyway, um, good on Checo for the win, five wins in his career now, and getting that redemption like he did, uh, like he needed to from, from this race last year, uh, George Russell ended up holding off Hamilton despite Hamilton being on the medium tire um, in that second stint and actually would have probably had the pace to finish on the podium. But, you know, this is George kind of asserting himself and Hamilton himself having a bit of an interesting weekend. Of course, big news coming out early on that he and his longtime trainer of seven years, essentially, Angela Cullen, they've split. Toto Wolf kind of alluding that, you know, it, it was Hamilton who made the call and, you know, what Lewis wants, you know, Lewis gets kind of thing and, you know, him also making the comments about, him also making the comments about um, whether, you know, he's not going to stand in the way if Lewis decides to leave, you know, if he finds somewhere else to, finds another team to go to, to, to win sooner if they can't get their act together, so you know there's a lot to take away from that the fact that you know yeah we've got this whole Red Bull narrative out the front but Mercedes too at the moment are in a bit of a pickle and you know from those words is that Wolf just being brutally honest the fact that it might take longer than Mm -hmm. Hamilton has left in his career to get back to the front and you know if that's the case then you feel sorry for George because he's like you know I'm going to be a Mercedes driver and win championships and um you know they they've kind of gone backwards not not because of George of course but you know it's just it's one of those things um Fernando though Fernando Alonso completing the podium initially his 100th podium the samurai centurion as it's known um but after the podium ceremony he collect, when he collected the trophy we got a 10 second penalty for handed down to him for you know, not serving that five second penalty correctly. Same thing that happened to Ocon in Bahrain as well. And that put him off the podium. Now, the reason why they gave him the penalty, they said because the jack, the rear jack, was attached to the car. And that constitute constitutes in terms of the the regulation about, you know, no work allow no work being allowed to be done during the serving of the penalty, that constituted as work being done, even though they just literally put the rejack on the car and didn't move until the penalty actually was served. So this is where Aston Martin ended up appealing the penalty, got it overturned, um, and the fact is that the wording kind of needs change. Needs to change. So if you want to, rather than saying no work is allowed to be done on the car, Say nothing is allowed to touch the car during the five seconds being served, and the FIA with the Sporting Advisory Committee are going to clarify this ahead of the Australian Grand Prix, so that'll be good, but the fact that there was a delay in issuing that 10-second penalty till after the race, so, you know, the pit stops happen quite early, like, you know, before the middle of the race, Um, and then also the FIA... Pretty much, you know, this was the FIA's equivalent of the, the VAR or whatever that they have in football, um, you know, the DRS, the decision review No, it's not, it's not cricket. Um, or the bunker like they have in NRL making remote decisions based on replays and evidence that they have. Is that while the stewards and the race director on track were kind of satisfied with how the penalty was served, it was the VAR or, you know, the, the remote bunker that kind of came back and said oh no like that this has happened and it took him that long to get the information out there and then for then that to be u-turned upon as well was is not a good look for f1 so they really need to sort out this stuff and again the fia coming into um question with the way that they're governing penalties and whatnot it's it's pretty it's pretty sad so while we've got this whole narrative of red bull you know, Mercedes as well, potentially, and then this was kind of the big furor point after the race too, because it potentially could have cost Alonso, um, a penalty, not a penalty, another podium, which, you know, he took at the end, and it's his 100th podium in F1, so good on you, Fernando, um, Ferrari, their hard tyre pace was rubbish again, ended up 6th and 7th, and, you know, what do you say about them at the moment, I have no idea, we'll wait until the next race. Alpines, both in the points as well, which was good for them. Uh, Esteban Ocon ahead of Pierre Gasly, 8th and 9th. Um, Magnussen coming home in 10th to get some points for Haas and put them on the board, which was excellent. Oscar Piastri was a standout in qualifying, I think in getting himself into Q3 for the first time. Um, and then also then the race being ruined for both of the McLarens with front-wing damage on the lap, on the first lap, sorry, I should say. Uh, and, yeah, they pretty much just, you know, rolled around the the lower ends of the grid, you know, fighting the likes of uh, Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries, and it was kind of embarrassing, really, again, for, for McLaren. And um, there was a moment later in the race where they let both their drivers fight each other, and Oscar kind of got the spoils on this end, on this occasion, but really, when you're fighting for 15th, 16th, or 17th, it's it's not, you know, there's nothing to be gained from that, particularly for a team that was third in the Constructors not too long ago, and there was big news coming out after Saudi, and just in recent days, about a restructuring of their technical team as well, with James Key actually out now, so it was quite, you know, inconspicuous, the lack of James Key being present during the pre-season, and then even the launch of the car, you know, he had some quotes quotes that eventually came out, but I guess it was probably known to the team long before the car hit the track. That yeah, you know things are not really working, which is which is kind of sad, given that um Key was so highly renowned and you know uh, even thought of as being a successor to Adrian Newey at some point as well. Um, but what's interesting and possibly concerning is the fact that McLaren are returning to the old Matrix style of management. You know, with having multiple. Um, figures within the same role, really. So a multi-pronged technical structure involving um, Peter Prodromu, of course, another ex Red Bull um, staff member high up, and then of course they're recruiting Dave Sanchez from Ferrari as well. So he essentially goes into that technical director role, but while he's still on gardening leave from Ferrari, it's not going to be until he's he's in. So you know, with McLaren pretty much saying that they've got the target. 2025 is when they're going to be winning races and whatnot we're not that long away from that now and we've just seen them go backwards once they've come into this new era of regulation so I guess there are some alarm bells being rung and you know if this doesn't work out either then what what do you say of the upper management do you start asking questions about Zach Brown um I know there's some criticism out there of Brown, and the fact that, you know, he seems to be focusing on trying to get McLaren into any championship that he can throughout the world, you know, they're in IndyCar, they're in Extreme E, they're in Formula E now as well, after taking over that Mercedes project, so, you know, why not focus on trying to get McLaren F1 back to being, you know, one of the best teams on the grid, rather than Uh, focusing on you know expanding the business and whatnot so that's a big criticism I guess that people have had and you know it's only going to be more accentuated by the fact if they they can't meet those uh, goals that they have for 2025 and like I said last time too there is a very you know kind of real threat now that Lando Norris might not be with the team long term if McLaren can't get their act together. I mean, he's been as patient as as possibly can be, and considering as well that um, there was an offer from Red Bull not too long ago to go over there, but such is, I guess, his confidence within the team that they can get the job done, but, you know, they've got to repay that faith now as well because he's given them plenty of results over the years and... You know it'll be down to the fact that you know they've got to deliver on their part now, which um, they really haven't in in recent times. So yeah, uh, that pretty much wraps up the F1 side of things. Uh, not much to say ahead of next week, you know. So you know how excited I am as always about the Australian Grand Prix, um, and I'll have the review for you after the race as well, the week after the race. So we'll talk about more F1 then. Let's talk about supercars, though, because the Gen 3 era began (laughs) for the championship, and I've got to say, it was quite underwhelming in terms of the racing, but it was full of controversies. Um, I guess Newcastle was probably not the best circuit to showcase, you know, the overtaking capabilities of these new cars, and the fact that, you know, they're designed to be more raceable, less downforce, and harder to drive. They certainly looked a lot harder to drive, as we saw, you know, in practice and qualifying, they, you know, required a lot more hustle and whatnot, a lot more sliding coming out of the corners, but when you've got a circuit like, M- that's pretty much like Monaco, as your season OP, you know, you cannot expect anything spectacular. Um, it was good to see in qualifying that the margins were a lot closer between the Camaro and Mustang, and pretty much those, Usual suspects, you know your Triple Eights, your your Walkinshaw with Chaz Mostert and um, Cam Waters, the Erebus Boys, Kostecki and um, Will Brown being up there, so that was good. Um, horrible start though for D J R. Neither Will Davison or Anton De Pasquale qualifying or finishing either race in the top ten, and it's surprising given that they were the homologation team for Ford, so, you know, the fact that they consider it, you know, essentially considered, like, one of the factory teams hitting the ground not so well in this new era, it's, you know, a bit concerning, but again, totally different circuit to when they race at Albert Park next week alongside the Formula One grid, and also F2 and F3, which will be there too. A surprise, though, to see Premier Racing, the Peter Gibberish Gibberish team, um, that was kind of bought out, uh, they bought out the old Techno team, Techno team Sydney, with top 10 shootout appearances for both Jimmy Golding and Tim Slade, Um, unfortunately a result taken away from Tim Slade in the first race with a stuck wheel nut, um, and then ended up uh, multiple laps off the lead as a result, and then of course, you know, Golding possibly, you know, he was in fourth and, you know, in with a sh- shot of the podium in race two, so that was really exciting, but ended up finishing behind Davy Reynolds, and when you look at the top 10 of the championship standings at the moment too, mixed results there, you've got Andre Heimgartner up there in fifth, for Brad Jones Racing, both the Team 18 cars are there, Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye featuring, and Frosty having a tricky weekend as well, Um, and this is one of the veteran drivers who's, you know, driven many different era of car and has been, come from, you know, driving those more difficult to drive cars in the mid to late 2000s and Frosty struggling as well there, Uh, Jack LeBrock in the Matt Stone racing car up there too, so yeah, it was a real interesting finish to the weekend, but I guess that was kind of not without the fact that um, we had both the AAA cars disqualified from race one, a breach of rule C16.2.1.1, which, you know, pretty much translates to they had a cooling system on the driver's side of the car, which is not allowed. Now, it was the same with, you know, the previous regulations and the previous era of car that the cooling system, you know, the dry ice, what that was fed into was on the passenger side of the car. So, 888, it was interesting because... You know they were stripped of essentially one 2 finish van gisbergen finishing first and winning clinically ahead of brock feeney um and the fact that they also had their appeal thrown out as well in recent days and the fact that they were they were furious as sorry as i um you know get lulu under control here trying to climb up to new heights is this little munchkin um they were furious too uh, the fact that they sought permission and clarification from Adrian Burgess, one of the big bosses at Supercars, ahead of the weekend, um, about whether this was okay to do on the site on the grounds of driver safety and whatnot, not anything to do with performance, and they seemingly had permission granted from from Burgess and then this ends up happening that they end up being disqualified like I'd be I'd be you know pretty furious as well in that respect so you know that again kind of feeds into the whole thing about um supercars just being confusing at times and as a result we had Cam Waters declared the winner so Mustang ended up winning the first Gen 3 race which I don't think we would have said in the preseason given how testing fared Mostert coming in second and first podium for Walkinshaw as a Ford team, and of course Brody Kostecki, who was the pole sitter, coming home third, and then Shane kind of did his talking on track, which was the um, which was the big quote uh, post race in race two. He overhauled Chaz to win in race two. He came back from not having a great qualifying again. So the one lap speed of those Triple Eight cars not the best at the moment, but in terms of race trim, they are rocket ships, and him coming from fifth also with 12 lap younger tires as well and gave a little bump to chaz at turn 9 chaz returned serve at turn 11 but you know shane had the pace he had the tire delta and it was his race to lose from there chaz had to settle for second but you know he does lead the championship coming out of um, newcastle and then of course as I said earlier david reynolds finishing third ahead of jimmy golding which was a great result and cam waters too strong in the middle of the race or strong in the early part of the race, but um, grazed the wall at turn nine, and I think had to deal with the car being kind of bent from the middle third onwards, Um, but the big controversy, I guess, (laughs) from the weekend, um, other than the disqualification for Red Bull, was the fact that Van Gisbergen pretty much stonewalled the media afterwards, you know, he was late to the podium, I think, as well, and then pretty much said to Jesse Yates, the Fox presenter, I did my talking on track. And that was it. And he said the same thing in the press conference to Chad Nalon as well. And, you know, it was meant with no disrespect to either of them, as we discovered afterwards. But it wasn't before we had a blasting from Mark Scaife who... Let's talk about Mark Scaife. Multiple champion, five-time champion of supercars and has won, you know, many, a Bathurst 1000 as well, um, these days he commentates, you know, he's been commentating for a long time, uh, alongside Neil Crompton, but also, also happens to be one of the, uh, big board members in the consortium known as Race that took over supercars, um, not too long ago, so Scafey, you know, with all his fingers in all of those pies, um, jumps on, you know, Fox Sports or whatever, who, you know, they probably they pay him a very handsome amount of money, um, and blasts Van Gisbergen for not being an ambassador of the sport, for, you know, not giving proper responses and whatnot, you know, and being sulky essentially for the disqualification. But that wasn't the full story. The story behind this was the fact that supercars were supposedly trying to put a gag on any kind of criticism that was being levelled towards Gen 3. And Scaife obviously had a lot to do with Gen 3 as well. So, you know, of course, you know, he's going to try and um, cover up for any shortcomings and say, oh, you know, like, you know, you're not allowed to say anything um, about it unless it's good, which is absolutely rubbish. Now, I could say a lot more, you know, harsher things about this than than I am able to in in this context or on this platform but any sort of criticism that they level towards Gen 3 should be taken quite seriously in a constructive way and this is where Shane is being the ambassador for the sport because he is the champion he's a three-time champion he's you know won a couple of Bathurst 1000s as well Um, wouldn't you want to take advice from your best driver, you know, you're arguably your biggest asset in terms of marketability as well and the following that Shane has at the moment. That, you know, if there are any shortcomings with these Gen 3 cars, which let's be fair, let's be fair. That they've been maligned for quite some time, you know, whether it was the fact that COVID kind of delayed um the development of them and getting the parts that they needed and whatnot but there's been a lot that's been maligned about Gen 3, and yes, I'm glad that they hit the track, and we were able to get some results, and you know, some decent racing, but that shouldn't be it, there should be a platform for them to build upon, and you know, for the drivers to have their input, and to be able to take them in a better direction, but the fact that supercars want to gag that is absolute rubbish, and this is where I dislike with the coverage of supercars as well, to a degree, where the fact that, yes, it's pretty much done all in-house, you know, when it comes to the media as well, the reporting of it is all very, it's all very linear, you know, I want to see more, I want to see more critics, I want to see more controversy, like, I loved it, you know, as much as I'm not for News Limited and, and Fox and all that, they do control quite a fair bit, when it comes to the way we get to watch motorsport in this country, I loved it when they had the panel show and they brought on journalists like, you know, as much as, you know, I'm not a a fan, but James Phelps and, you know, I love Mark Fogarty, you know, good old folks, Bruce Newton, and for them to be able to actually tell us what's going on, you know, speaking the truth rather than this kind of, um, like... I don't even know the word to describe it, but kind of just giving us the, the marshmallow, you know, and sprinkles version of stuff, you know, it's, it's not enjoyable, like, I love with F1, we've got such a variety of, you know, outlets to get our information from, but supercars, you know, it is very much, you know, the same sources, and, you know, some in particular, you know, are pretty much just you know, writing on the, at the behest of supercars, and being like, you know, cool, this is, this is the narrative, it's all cool, it's all good, you know, I want to see more of, you know, the criticism and whatnot, because that's what the media should be, the fourth fourth estate essentially should be telling, you know, all sides, and, you know, that's why you've got the fifth estate, which is kind of like what we do as content creators and podcasters and whatnot, to be able to share our opinions, because sometimes, the opinions and the facts, or, like, not the facts, but the opinions and whatnot coming from, you know, the fourth estate are just not good enough, so I don't know, like, I could be wrong here and everything, don't take it, you know, too seriously, of course, I'm just using this as a platform to share what I think, and I just thought it was absolute BS the way that supercars tried to gag Uh, van Gisbergen and also reynolds as well david reynolds for his criticism and they're just trying to be constructive you know they're at the end of the day they're the ones hopping in the car and you know putting their lives on the line as well and going out there and give us entertainment so you know if they've got anything to say you've got to listen to them rather than you know telling them to shut up particularly for someone like scaife who you know is Scaife really relevant these days, you know, like his, yeah, he's got the achievements, he's got the, you know, um, results in the book, but he is very, very much one of those people who you want to hear the opposite side of his opinions sometimes because, yeah, it's his opinions that are shoved down our throat and it's very much in the vein of, you know, Fox and um, News Corps and all that sort of stuff. So, anyway, before getting into a big um, rant and going down the path of criticizing media and whatnot. Um, I think it's time to call it. So, thank you very much for tuning in this week. Um, be sure to check out uh, my work on com, available through the link in the link tree. Make sure you follow me on Instagram as well, because um, that's probably where I'll share a lot of my photos and whatnot from the OzGP weekend. And yeah, you know. Hope you have a guys have a good one, and um, I'll see you next time.